Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. As we get started, I'm going to tell you that the sermon title that is in the bulletin has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. Okay. Even as I was listening to Sandy read, I heard about five sermons in all these readings. I promise you I'm only preaching one today, okay? But this often happens where I'm like, what am I going to do? I try to get you all oriented in the right way by picking something, and then it so often just goes in a completely different direction. So if I was going to put a new one in, I might call it navel-gazing. Be like, really, dude? Stay with me for a second. But we continue in our series that we're doing over Lent called Baked In, which means that even though Lent may not always make a lot of sense and can feel a little weird, that the lessons that are intent, we are intended to learn in Lent are already baked into your life. They are already hiding there, if only we can find them. And so we've gone through a couple of readings. We invite you to catch up on them if you missed them. But maybe today was one of the first times you're like, oh good, this one I got. This one I can do. Because as you were listening to me read the gospel reading, you might have felt a little better that today might be a place where you can, that you might anticipate the sermon, and therefore maybe he'll be a little shorter and we can get out of here a little quicker. I get this. Because even if you are a person of no faith, or at least if you are a person with almost no religious literacy, excuse me, you have some inkling of the story that we read today from the gospel of Luke. This story about this son who runs away, a dad who seems overly enthusiastic, and another son who's less so. And what do you know this story as? Somebody say it to me. When you talk about this story, what do you call it? Beautiful. Beautiful. And the story, right, is repent and God takes us back, right? So you're like, this one I got. Well, uh, okay, hold that thought. The focus in Lent and in so much of our discourse about faith is sinfulness. I stopped apologizing for that a long time ago. I used to apologize. It's like all we do is talk about sin. Well, we shouldn't always talk about sin, but I'm tired of apologizing that we do talk about sin, especially in Lent. We are not yet perfected. And if we are not yet perfected, then we are in some way sinful, and we've got to talk about that. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So there's good reason for us to talk about sin. Lent is indeed a time for us to feel the brokenness of the world, the brokenness inside of ourselves, which means our need of a Savior. There's no doubt about that. Lent is supposed to bring sin in my life and in the world into clear focus. And in our best moments, when we do that, our inclination, our spirits call us to repentance, right? That we said, I know this isn't right in my life, and I want to repent of that. Or, I know the world is not right, and boy, we don't need any reminders of that from the pulpit today, do we? The world is not right, and we collectively have got to repent of the ways that oppress and marginalize others, right? Right? We want to jettison these actions that harm me and harm others. We want to reject evil in the world. And so even if we don't understand Lent and we don't understand all these weird prayers and everything, friends, I bet that you do understand this call, this cry for repentance. You want to walk more faithfully 
And we want the world to be a more faithful place. It's already there. And as we look closely in our lives, we, we can see those places where we honestly and sincerely want to turn around and go in the other direction, which is what repentance means. It means to literally be going one way, do a U-turn, go the other way. We can see those places. The reason we keep doing Lent is because Lent offers this kind of promise. Lent says there is a way to U-turn and to go a different direction. We are not, ba- we are not done baking. We've got more to go. We can change. And so when we read these stories, especially these kinds of stories, the story that we called the prodigal son, that we already kind of have a grounding in, our eyes are naturally drawn to see the sin because on the backside we want to be better. We identify the sin, we chuck it out, and we move on with our vastly improved lives, right? Here's the thing about that. A faith that is always oriented towards sinfulness is impossible to live. It's impossible. It gets old. We get tired of hearing how horrible we are. It's hard to maintain, right? Because a, a, a faith that is only based on our own brokenness and how horrible the world is, it just gets old. And like at some point, you got to give me something else, Reverend. And this focus on our sins doesn't always make us better people, does it? We've watched people come in and out of church. We've done this sometimes where it's like, yeah, you're going through the motions of Lent. You're talking about all the stuff in Lent, but I don't see any like Lenten-y kind of stuff coming out on the other side. I mean, think about it. How many mob movies? And you're like, yo, you're doing mob movie today? Yeah, I am. Think about how many mob movies you've watched where this guy who's at the center of it, generally a horrible person, a child of God, but a horrible person otherwise, You know, they go to confession and they pour out their souls about all these sins and then go right back to whatever that underground world was. We can see it's a farce, right? Maybe sometimes we've seen that in ourselves or we want to be quiet about this. We're like, "Ah, somebody else, I don't know. Like, does any of this work? And maybe we wonder about that as, about Lent as well. Like, nothing changes. This is hard. Maybe I'm a farce. And here's where I want to push back. When we focus on sin, we make this Lenten story about us. And that's the problem. I'll say it again. When it is only ever about sin, we make the story of faith and the story of Lent, we make it about us. And as long as we are the centerpiece of the story of faith, as long as we are the hero in the story of faith, we will be let down in that journey. Because even Lent must be the gospel. Even Lent must be good news. Because if Lent is not taking us to goodness... If Lent is not growing us, if our imaginations for what God is doing in the world is not expanding in Lent, then it should be jettisoned right along with all of our sins. Let me say that again. If Lent is not taking us to goodness, we should get rid of it with every sin that we carried in here this morning. To this end, Alexander Schmemann, great Orthodox theologian who has shaped my mind so much around what liturgy and faith is all about, he wrote this tiny little book on Lent. You're free to borrow it from me if you want, if you want to dive into it. Right at the beginning of this little book on Lent that he wrote, he writes, 
The liturgical tradition, meaning our Lenten practices, exists, first of all, in order to help us recover the vision and taste of that new life, which we so easily lose and betray, so that we may repent and turn to it. Saying the liturgical traditions of the church are not to break you down. They are to restore to our vision this, this taste of a new life. It says the entire worship of the church is organized around Easter, the end of all that which is old, the beginning of the new life, a constant passage from this world into the kingdom already revealed in Christ. Even Lent is about Easter and it's about new life. All this means that at some point along the way, if we are serious about following Jesus, we have got to stop this obsessive navel-gazing on our sins. You all know what navel-gazing is, right? If you just stare at your belly button. We have got to stop making our sins the centerpiece of this, as if there was anything beautiful or wonderful about gazing at our navels. Which means, as we read this story of the prodigal son, we have got to stop staring at the sins and start staring at the dad. Why? It's navel-gazing that gets these two brothers in trouble in the first place. It's the sin we're talking about, of staring at our own sins. It's exactly that that gets both the brothers in trouble to start with. This story starts with some really obvious and really unhealthy navel-gazing, yes? A young man, full of himself and tired of the box that he's been forced to live in. Forced, I put in quotations. He's clearly well off that he can take half of dad's estate and dad seems to be fine. So he's living a privileged life. But he's considered no one else in all of this and he heads out the door. He says, dad, write me a check. Dad writes the check, he cashes it, and goes to live this lavish life. You know this well. One of my favorite things about reading it today is the way it gets translated, that this translates, he goes and lives a dissolute life. I had to look up dissolute. I didn't even know what that meant. No, this guy is not living a dissolute life. This guy's on a rager. All right, let's call it what it is. This guy is on an absolute rager. Until... It catches up with him. And he finds himself in the middle of a famine with no money. And so he is hired out to work the pigs. Now I'm going to tell you right now, that's the part of the story that bothers me a lot. I'm like, how did I get to this place in my life where I'm just feeding pigs all the time? <laughs> like, well, that caused me to stop. I go, wait, is my life aimed in the right direction? But anyway. But feeding the pigs, this I can tell you, will sober you up a little bit. And he prepares to go home. But he prepares the speech to his dad like we've all done at some point, right? You start running the speech through your head, whether it's to a spouse or a loved one or a child. You're like, listen, I'm really sorry. You know, I shouldn't have done that. But we get the speech. I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like a hired hand. But did you hear in that prayer, <laughs> he's still navel-gazing. I have sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer to be worthy. You called your son. Treat me like your hired hand. It's still all about him. It's still all about him. The dude is still staring at his belly button, focusing on himself. 
and he heads back to dad, we have no indication that he cares about dad. He's embarrassed in front of dad, but there's no indication that he's changed any opinion about dad. He heads off because he's trying to take care of himself. The symbol of repentance, friends, is not the son. He's lousy. Oh, no, 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 it's not the son. The symbol of repentance, the image we are supposed to have of repentance and returning home is dad. Friends, hear me loud and clear. We cannot understand this need for repentance in our lives by staring at our own sins. Owning them, yes. Being honest with ourselves about them, yes. But not by staring at them. Repentance is not about preparing the speech and saying the prayers. Repentance is about seeing where we are and realizing the mess when left to ourselves. Yes, we all do this, the mess that we can make of our lives. But that's not the point. The point is realizing that dad has been out on the front porch, not with a rifle, but with a ring and a robe. Repentance is lavish. It is gaudy. It is unbecoming. Dad runs out. Remember, this dude's high society. There ain't no running in high society. He runs to him, throws his arms around this dirty, sweaty pig guy. And that's also something I got. You don't want to throw your arms around pig guy. But throws his arm around and puts on the ring of acceptance. Says, let's get it on. Let's throw our form of a rager, which is way more healthy. We cannot get to repentance by staring at our sins. We get to repentance by seeing just how badly God is ready to receive us. But he's not the only son, right? Some of you are like, oh no, he's got a second sermon. Let me finish this one. Because that son's in the field doing his work. The quintessential oldest child. That's me. Jenny were here, she'd tell you it was her too. <laughs> We've got a lot of older children thing going. He's out doing what he's supposed to do. And he's like, what in the world is going on back with dad? And a servant shares the info, and he does so with the enthusiasm, I presume, of the father. He says, your brother has come. He's back safe and sound. Older brother becomes angry. So dad says, come on in. Come on in. We're throwing a party. Let's go. And the son snipes back in words that are so painful. Listen. Which is roughly equivalent to grabbing dad by the tie jerking him and saying, listen to me. You can hear him grit his teeth as he says, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted cat for him. Boy, that is seething with toxicity. Here's what we need to understand. That son is navel-gazing too. All he can see is how good he is. And all he can see in light of that is how awful his brother has been. Here's the second point. The first brother taught us that we cannot understand repentance by staring at our own sins. The second brother reminds us that we cannot know repentance by staring at other sins or by staring at our own perceived holiness we come waddling in here saying well i'm better than that guy repentance will not be found and if we're just staring at other people's sins and you say you know what we got to fix that guy over there we will never know what repentance is all about 
because the symbol of repentance is not either of the brothers. The symbol of repentance is the father. And the father, having been crushed by his eldest son in similar but different ways than he was crushed by his younger son, makes a plea. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. Please come in. Please. Two brothers, the same mistake. Look at me. One profligate in his sins, one profligate in his holiness. Friends, our sins are never so big that God is never going to welcome us, and our holiness is never so big that we don't need to be invited. Hear that again. Your sins are never so big that God will reject you, and our holiness is never so special that we don't need to be invited by the Father. The only way to understand this drive for repentance that we all feel in this Lenten season is to look at God. Lent is about training our eyes to look at Dad. Dad, the one who's waiting for us to come back. Dad, the one who throws us a party and invites us inside. That is what repentance is all about. And that's what Lent is about if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Good news, friends, we are not so far into Lent that we cannot change. As one of the verses says in our final hymn, we'll get to it eventually, it says, for the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Friends, we cannot shrink our sin by the hyper-focus on how we have failed. Our sin only begins to shrink and begins to disappear And our sense of sin is consumed as we understand the immaculate, lavish, profligate love of God who waits now on the porch to throw his arms around you in love and in mercy. And so before you come wandering into the house to utter that speech, let's say, well, you know, I'm I'm sorry, I've been here in a while, and my goodness, I'm not worthy to be called your child. Before you give any of that speech... Before that prayer, before you try to hire yourself out to God, know that God has invited invited you in as a child. And before you show up saying, you know what, I'm really special because I try real hard. Remember that God is nervous rocking on the porch waiting for you to come home as well. He's not just like, well, he'll get here when he gets here. He is waiting for you. Those of us who have sinned and those of us who are holy, God waits with extravagant arms to welcome us all in. And so friends, let us stop gazing at our navels and start fixing our gaze on God. Because in that, this drive for repentance will come alive and will know the life God intends for us, his children. 